Welcome to another Biz Radio Spotlight feature, where we like to introduce you to area businesses and the people behind them. If you'd like to see your business or organization have a spotlight on them, just visit Biz Radio and click on the Spotlight tab, and it'll walk you through from there. Now let's go ahead and meet this episode's Spotlight feature. And let's welcome our spotlight for this episode, and that is Kelly Sheehan. She is the Senior Director of Energy Campaigns for the Sierra Club, where she leads a national effort to advance climate justice and a transition off of fossil fuels. Kelly joined the Sierra Club in 2012. She's been an environmental activist by passion and by trade for the past 20 years, directing campaigns to protect the environment, training and engaging people to participate in our democracy, and building a movement for social change. Kelly lives in Asheville, North Carolina with her children. She was honored as Best Environmentalist by the Blue Ridge Outdoors magazine, and you can often find her exploring trails and rivers in the Appalachian Mountains, much like myself. And you can connect with Kelly if you want to go ahead and follow her on Instagram. It's at EcoKelly is the hashtag. And uh, Kelly, welcome to uh, welcome to the spotlight. Hey, Matt. Thanks for having me. So glad to be able to connect with you. And we were talking off air and to reconnect with some shared past that we have from um, what I call the before times. <laughs> Absolutely. You know, I call them the it, before times, too. Yeah. And it just reinforced to me that you have been engaged in what you're doing for a very long time. And so first off, thank you for that. Thank you for your service to stewardship and to, you know, to responsibility that we have, uh, you know, as as the uh, as the beings that can impact the environment more than anybody else, positive or negative. Uh, walking this green earth. So thank you for that. But, you know, I wanted to give people a chance to get to know you a little bit as we get started in our conversation. Um, how did you end up getting involved? You know, as I said, when I was going through your bio, you know, you've been doing this for the past 20 years by passion and by trade. What led you to it? Yeah, I have. You know, it started for me when um, I've always liked to be outside. I've always felt uh, most at home in nature, and I've always had a deep concern for justice and caring for my community. And I started learning about climate change and started learning about pollution of our air and water and environmental racism. And this was years ago as a youngster. And I realized that there were people that were making decisions about our lives and about the planet. And they were making decisions in corporate boardrooms and in the halls of Congress, and that we had the ability and the responsibility to influence those folks. So I started as a organizer and a rabble rouser trying to protect the forests um, that I cared about. And over time, that grew into advocating for environmental justice and being very involved in um, climate change and to hold the fossil fuel industry accountable. So that was my trajectory. You know, I moved here to Western North Carolina in 1999 um, out of a love for the forests and being engaged in that forest advocacy. And then I have never left. I have a question for you, too, about personality, because to be involved that long, I imagine that there's a burnout factor for people um, when you care so passionately about something. Like I'll give a personal example as a setup. So I went on a remote um, dispersed camping trip with my youngest son this past weekend, 
and we were on you know protected national forest land in a set site we're on a waterway that doesn't allow any motorboats or anything like that you know wild otter swimming by and um and you know eating fresh trout for our for our meal you know and um you know it's it's a beautiful thing and all of a sudden this powerboat comes screaming down the lake i was so livid i was so angry at the disturbance that beautiful serene protected area and the ignorance of it that it it was hard to control my anger but i stood out on a rock point and waved the person down and let them hear it um (laughs) you know how do you what do you attribute to your staying power and how do you balance the emotions of things you see going on that have got to just you know really crawl under the skin Yeah, I mean, it's a good question. It's something that I think a lot of us struggle with when we are day in, day out navigating through both the despair and the joy in the world, both the things that give us heartbreak and the things that fill us up with happiness for our community and, um, you know, make our souls shine, honestly. And I would say that I have a pretty joyful outlook on life. I like to be out in the sunshine. I love to be in the rivers kayaking. Mm -hmm. And I honestly love to be in community. And I find it um, just such an honor to be with so many people that are making a difference in the world. And I have um, come to realize that hope sometimes about averting the worst impacts of the climate crisis. Hope can be elusive. I won't lie. There are days when I think, you know, this is, we are up against a tremendous amount, a tremendous amount, but I owe it to myself and my children and our community to keep trying. And these days, as I have been at it for a long time, I will say that I am inspired by other people And by supporting other people who are doing their work in the world, whether it be art or writing or advocacy or protesting or lobbying or being an elected official or being a truth teller or, um, you know, doing things like lifting up folks and their stories on the media. I mean, there's just so many ways that people can be involved to set the trajectory for our communities, our country, our planet um, toward a way that is regenerative and healthy and joyful. And I really love to support the folks that are that are doing that as much as as much as anything. Did you have influences earlier in your life that kind of pointed you toward the tenacity and the hopefulness that you combine into the work you do today? You know, that is a great question. I think part of it is a is a spiritual practice, you know, being able to have mindfulness and um, take time to um, really tap into a spiritual practice has helped. And that, that was something for me. I think I actually came to the more hopefulness just through longevity, to be to be honest, I came at it first with a very fierce spirit and urgency of, you know, the urgency of now um, and working, um, being very comfortable in uh, leading protests and leading marches and loving the energy that comes with that when you're with other change makers and really kind of 
holding the feet to the fire of our elected officials or of fossil fuel executives and not being ashamed to do that. And it's only through the longevity that I have and maybe being a mom and raising children and um, being at it for a long time that I have tapped more deeply into um, into holding on to the hope because I want to do be able to do this work for a lifetime and um, I want to come at it through uh, kindness and care and vision more than the um, you know than the anger these days yeah and you know I, I used to refer to you know I kind of refer to the way I used to be as a bull in a china cabinet and now more I'm, I'm like a teapot on a on a you know on a dinner table <laughs> kind of thing you know? yeah I can relate you know? and it's not relate. that I don't care it's just that I've found other means of accomplishing things through you know supportive um, networking and you know encouragement and and applying things over the years. It sounds like that's you know different, but a little bit the same kind of thing for you. What I'm really interested in, and and this is really uh, kind of for the benefit of people listening too, that you know are are trying to make a difference in their own gravitational pull you know whether it's in business or you know in nature or in their families or in their community or anything else how have you how have you kind of navigated through the the massive shifts that we've seen in society and media and and those kind of things uh, you know over the course of the time that you've been doing what you're doing and what I've been doing what I'm doing the whole landscape has changed how have you transitioned through those pivots yeah, there you know there are a lot of ways, right? And it kind of depends on what angle we we come at this from. But I would say, you know, I can remember the very first moment that I heard about global warming, and it was talked about as something that was coming in you know decades to come. But we had an opportunity to shift course now through accelerating clean energy and um, through many other changes that people could make and their in their lives and through policy measures. And, you know, now here we are and the window to act is truly closing, right? We have wildfires and storms and hurricanes and floods. And um, with that comes refugees and comes um, people seeking clean water or seeing changes in their farms or what's growing or changes to the natural world, right? And it is more and more understood that this is something that we're living with and we are adapting to a very changing world. And meanwhile, our ability to communicate with each other just feels incredibly divisive, right? Living through these political times where, um, you know, there are so few just sit down and have a conversation about what's going on and how we can make changes that benefit everyone and benefit the masses. Um, you know, there's just so much hostility and divisiveness. And so those are some of the things that that I really have seen change. Mm -hmm. Um, But, you know, I've also what I haven't seen change is just that the majority of people that I know deeply care about each other and deeply care about the well-being and health of our families and our communities and and of having clean air and clean water and um, intact forests and um, preserved farmland. And that is, you know, those continue to be values that most people hold, although I do think we've um, sort of lost our way and our ability to um, enact those 
policies and such that um, enable us to to really thrive. Yeah, speaking to that, uh, what are what are some of the things that are you know what's mostly on your radar right now? Like what's what's a pressing matter that you want to take a chance to kind of inform people about to to go ahead and look into? Yeah, absolutely. I focus a lot on the energy sector. And so what's happening in our energy economy is really just exciting and, and, and you know, energizing, if you will, um, right now, the transition to clean energy. I would say that's the, you know, one of the very biggest society scale things that we can do to address the climate crisis and have a livable planet um, is around accelerating this transition to clean energy. And so with the recent passage of the stimulus bill, the um, Inflation Reduction Act in Congress, that is unleashing and unlocking so much money and opportunity for clean energy to really take up the space that we need it to across the country um, to transition our um, economy toward, toward clean energy. And at the same time, you know, the fossil fuel industry is not going down lightly. They are in what I would say is the last gasp of um, of their industry, the oil and gas production. You know, the U.S. does produce more oil and gas than any other country on the planet, which is surprising to some more than Russia or Iraq or um anywhere in South America or Canada, you know, we're talking about the largest oil and gas producing country on the planet. And so they're literally fabricating new markets. How much plastics can they get to market? How much export can they build? And these are, you know, polluting, nasty, huge facilities and, you know, an industry that is is really dirty, is impacting communities of color and low wealth communities worse um, and is uh, exacerbating the climate crisis, is creating a tremendous amount of air and water pollution and really no one's benefiting from that except the few at the very top. And so I am excited about um, holding the line on pushing back against some of these new you know, markets that the oil and gas industry is looking to yeah. break into and instead you know, helping the clean energy companies really blossom. Well, I know that right now uh, I lived uh, I lived along the Gulf Coast for about five years and saw how fragile it is. And I know that right now there's there's huge um, things in the works for liquid natural gas um, terminals along the Gulf Coast. I mean, like nearly two dozen of them, I think. Yeah. Um, you know, so. Yeah. You know, and I know we're almost out of time here, but can you speak to that a little bit too? Because you know, I, I we we know living in the Southern Appalachians that you know we know because of where we live how connected all these things are environmentally, and you know the Gulf Coast sounds far away, except for when you start having hurricanes coming up here, and you realize, oh, we're not that far away at all. You know, <laughs> we're hitting the outer yeah, rims while it's over the Gulf. But talk a little bit, just real quickly, about where people can learn more about what's going on with the liquid natural gas um, facilities being proposed along the Gulf Coast. Yeah, absolutely. Some just quickly, some twenty plus, you know, two dozen proposed 
gas export facilities, oil export facilities are being proposed as well, predominantly along the Gulf Coast. These are massive industrial facilities that accelerate fracking, accelerate um, our dependence on fossil fuels at a time where we really need to act to transition away. Very polluting and being met with a lot of really fierce opposition in the Gulf Coast. So um, people can, if that want to take action or learn more, there's a couple different places. One is there's a collection of artists that are really doing some great work on this. And this is Gulf Coast Murals org is one place. Um, they can also check us out at the Sierra Club, sierraclub.org, and um, look at our Dirty Fuels um, page, Beyond Dirty Fuels, to see what we're up to to stop these polluting facilities from being built. Well, Kelly Sheehan, it's been a real pleasure to have you on the spotlight today, and, and thank you for taking the time to talk to everybody here and uh, for what you're doing. I really appreciate the time, Matt. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to this Biz Radio Spotlight feature. If you'd like to have a Spotlight feature on your business, click on the Spotlight tab and it'll walk you through from there. Thank you for listening. If you liked what you just heard, be sure to subscribe to the podcast and be sure to visit bizradio.us to find hundreds of other engaging conversations, local events, and more.